Scripture that I find no pleasure in teaching on becomes very difficult. And yet God taught on it, the Lord Jesus Christ taught on it more than He did the subject of heaven. And uh, as we get to Luke chapter number 16, and verse number 19, Jesus says, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen, fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, and it came to pass that the beggar died was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Beside all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from thence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren. He may testify unto them, lest they also come into the place, this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. He said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead. Probably one of the saddest statements in Scripture. It's found in verse number 31. If they will not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. I was given the great privilege a couple of Saturdays ago to stand at a graveside and share some things with family members and friends of Rita Gertz. And I spent a lot of time that week wondering, because I didn't know Rita. I think I had met her maybe once. And I thought, what do you say to, at a funeral of somebody who you don't know? And I began to uh, wonder that week, you know, what, what should I do? To, what can be a help to these folks that are going to be there looking for comfort? And uh, I began to think of some things that Miss Rita knew beyond any shadow of a doubt at that point. I'm not certain if Miss Rita was saved or lost. I don't know if she's in heaven or in hell. I don't know that. But I do know that there were some things that she knew regardless of where she was. And I shared those things with those people. One thing that Rita knew is that heaven is a real place. 
their streets of gold, their walls of jasper, their gates of pearl. There are trees there that bear fruit. There are rivers there. There are animals there. Heaven is a real place. It's not some ethereal, spooky, smoky place. It's a real place that people go. When I made that statement, the other thing that needs to be understood is this. If heaven is real, then hell is also real. It's not some philosophical thing. It's not some allegory or some, some, some overly spiritualized thought. It's a real place. As we read Luke chapter number 16, we hear a story that I believe is a true story. I've heard people debate whether or not they think this is a parable, but God uses, the Lord Jesus Christ uses real names in this particular story. He uses very, very specific events. He talks about the rich man's gate, Lazarus laying there begging for the scraps. He talks about the dogs that came and licked his sores. And such description, it's beyond, I believe, a parable. I believe Jesus was giving those details so that they could understand and realize what the story he was relating was an actual, literal story of something that took place between a man who was very wealthy and a man by the name of Lazarus. The Bible says that when they died, Abraham or Lazarus was carried to what the Bible calls Abraham's bosom. It's a place of paradise that was in place before the cross of Calvary. Once Jesus died on the cross, the Bible teaches that Jesus went to paradise. He told the thief on the cross he would be with him in paradise that day. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he, the Bible says he brought the captivity captive. He brought all those that were in paradise out took them to a place called heaven, and now they're in heaven. And the Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians, I believe it is, that now to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We don't go to this place called paradise anymore. It's, it's not a, a place that happens any longer. But Lazarus went to this place because Christ had not yet died on the cross. And the rich man died, and the Bible says that in hell, he wasn't in the same place that Lazarus was in. In hell, he lifted up his eyes. He said, Brother Greg, how do you know that hell's a real place? Because this man had eyes. He could see. The Bible says he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. I believe it's a real place because he said, I am tormented in this flame. He didn't just say heat. There's a flame there. I believe it's a real place because when the rich man cried out, he said, would you send Lazarus to dip his finger? That's a physical thing. In water, that's a physical thing. In cool my tongue, that's a physical thing. There's something real about it. It's not just some allegory. It's not just some truth of separation from God. It's a real, literal place. The Bible talks about it being a place of torment. The rich man said so much. He said, I am tormented in this flame. I want us to notice a couple things about this story that I think are very important for us to understand. Whether you're here this morning and you're saved, or whether you're here this morning and you're lost, there are some things I believe that we need to all understand about this passage. If you will, look with me in verse number 25. The Bible says, But Abraham said, Son, 
remember thou, and I want you to notice this phrase, in thy lifetime. Receivest thy good things. And likewise, and the understood phrase is in thy lifetime there as well, because he's saying likewise in the same course, Lazarus evil things, meaning that Lazarus got evil things in his lifetime. Can I tell you this? That phrase in this passage of Scripture tells us this, that the decision that every man must make of where they wish to spend eternity must be made in this lifetime. It is not something that can be made at a later date. It's not something that we can say, okay, one of these days I will do it. It's not one of these things that we can look at and say, when I get down there to hell, then I'll know that God is real and I'll cry out to Him then and surely He'll have mercy. No, God has given us His mercy now. And we have a a, a truth that is given to us in Scripture in verse number 25 that the decision of whether we're going to put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and trust Him for us to get out of this place of hell, to be saved from the fires of hell, to be given mercy... To be given grace, it is dependent upon us putting our faith in Him. That's all that is required. And when we put our faith in Him, God gives mercy and God gives grace, and He does not let us go to hell anymore. He now lets us go to heaven to be with Him for all of eternity. But can I reiterate this? The choice must be made in this lifetime. I want you to notice here that if you do not make that choice in this lifetime, you say, how do you know, Brother Greg, that you can't get out of hell once you're there? Look what the Bible says here, verse number 26. And beside all this, between us and you there is fixed a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you, those that have that desire to, those that would pass from hence to you. What's the next word? Cannot. Every once in a while, my kids will say, Dad, can I go do something? And my answer to them is, I don't know, can you? Because the word can means able to. What they generally mean is, Dad, may I? Do I have your permission to go do this? When God wrote this, when God spoke these words, when the Lord Jesus Christ in His earthly ministry said these things, He didn't say they may not. It wasn't God's giving permission of them. It was that they could not. Once there, there is no ability of changing the course. The decision is set. The decision is made. And it must be made in this lifetime. I want us to notice another thing about this as we go down. Because once the man realized the error of his ways, and once this rich man who... uh, didn't understand and maybe either had not heard or did not understand or perhaps he understood and just simply chose not to put his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever the case was that brought him to this place, we find that the Bible says in verse number 27, Then said he, meaning after he had recognized his own plight, after he had recognized that there was no hope for him, then said he, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Can I tell you this? Not only is hell a real place, but number two, those that are there, 
do not want anyone else coming there. I've heard people say, well, I'm going to hell because my friends are there and we're going to get down there and have a party. You talk to them and they're not going to say that. They're going to say, I don't want them here. He goes and he tells Abraham, he says, would you at least let Lazarus, let him come back to life. Send him back to my brethren. I don't want my brothers coming to this place. It must be a pretty horrible place if he's saying he didn't want his brothers to go there. He says, I want you to send him so that my brothers can hear about this and not come here. I don't want them to come to this place. Hell is such a place that no person desires, no person that is there desires for anyone else to come there. I've heard some folks say, well, I know that my mom or my dad or my brother or my sister went there, so I'm going to go there so I can spend eternity with them. That's not what they want. That's not what they want. He says, For I have five brethren that he may testify. And by the way, if you're here this morning and you're saved, it's a shame to me. I am embarrassed at myself that a man who was lost would have more concern for others that are lost than I would have. We're here this morning. We've trusted Christ as our Savior. Can I tell you this? We need to have a. We need to live every day with the view in mind that not only is heaven real, but hell is real. And those that do not trust the Lord as their Savior are headed there already. They are. They are plunging headlong after it. God is not sending them there. They've chosen this path. They've, they're going this way. God came to rescue them from this. The Lord came and sent His Son to die on a cross in our place so that we don't have to go there. That's the love God has for us. He says, I have five brethren that He may testify unto them, lest, also, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. He's speaking here of Scriptures that had already been written prior to this time. Not all of the Scripture that you and I have was written then. But they had most of the Old Testament by then. And the Bible says this, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. I, uh, I've talked to an awful lot of people trying to show them how to be saved. Trying to encourage them every way I know how to get this thing dealt with before it's too late. I've had a number of them that have said, I don't believe that a God that loves me the way you tell me He loves me would send me to hell. When I was younger, I used to try to debate that with them until one day I realized that they're correct on that. They're right. A loving God would not send anyone to hell. He would do everything He could to keep them out of hell. Hold your place here for a moment. I love the book of Romans. 
as a Christian, I think it does us well to regularly, several times a year, take the opportunity to read through the book of Romans. I'm not talking here to lost people so much as I am to Christians because it encourages us when we read what God has done for us. In Romans chapter number 5, there's a passage of Scripture that I think is one of the great, great passages that teach us how much God loves us. In Romans chapter number 5, look with me if you will. We're going to begin, we'll just start reading in verse number 1 because it's all good, right? Therefore, being justified by what? Faith. Not my works. I, I, can't, I cannot be good enough to make it to heaven. doesn't happen. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. How is this possible? Well, He tells us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who has made this possible for you and I. Not our, not our behavior, not our actions, not our lifestyle. Jesus made this possible. To be reconciled, to be justified, to be pardoned, to be redeemed. We sing that song, redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy. His child, and I love this, and forever I am. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We sing that song and sometimes we've sung it so often that we just kind of go through the motions of singing it. But have you ever stopped to think about the, what we're singing? Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible tells me in Hebrews that I can come to God and I can pray. In fact, in chapter, I think it's chapter 4, chapter 5, it tells me that I can come boldly to the throne of grace. I get the opportunity to come to God into His very throne room in a manner we call praying. And I don't have to go through a priest anymore. The Bible tells me in the book of Hebrews that Jesus, once and for all now, is the great high priest. He is the intercessor of our praying. He is the one that reconciles sinful man with holy God and allows us to commune as father and son. Jesus is the one that's done this. In verse 1 of chapter 5, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. What a statement! That sinful man can be reconciled to a holy God? How is this possible? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Verse number 2, By whom also... Well, wait a minute, there's more? We're reconciled to God. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse number 2, By whom also we have what? Access. We have access by faith into this grace. What is grace? God's riches at Christ's expense is what somebody said, and it makes an acrostic that spells grace. What it really means is this. We get something that we don't deserve. Jesus not only allows us to have peace with God, but He allows us to have access to the grace of God. 
wherein we stand. Notice he says this, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have access to His grace and we get to rejoice in the hope that we have. I'll tell you this, when I get to thinking about the fact that I'm saved, not because of what I've done, but because of what He did, I've put my faith in Him. When I start thinking about that, I get to thinking about the fact I get to go to heaven, I'm going to tell you what, I about have a fit. And I'm a big fat guy. You ever see a big fat guy jump around and holler and be all excited? I don't do it a lot in public, but boy, I'll tell you what, there's times in that house over there next door or times going down the road, if you could roll down the window and hear me hollering on the inside of that car, you'd think I was an idiot. Because I rejoice when I begin to understand what God has done for me. And for no other reason than the fact that He loved me. Not because I was anything to Him. Not because I'd done anything good for Him, but because He loved me. And not only so, so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that the tribulation worketh patience, patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed. You know, we rejoice in all of those things because of the Lord. We rejoice in all of them. I'll tell you what, that makes for a whole different life, doesn't it? You ever go through a valley? And I'm, I'm not saying the valley's pleasant. I, you ever go through a trial in life, a, a burden in life? And I'm not saying that's pleasant. But through the tears that we cry when we go through that heartache, there's joy inside. There's great peace. You ever notice that? How does that happen? Because the Lord Jesus Christ made it possible for sinful man and a holy God to be reconciled. To have a relationship of a father and a son. For me and you to be adopted into God's family and given all the rights and privileges that His own Son has. Notice what it says here. In verse number 5, He says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is what? It's shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, He's speaking here of our ability to redeem us from our own sins. Our ability to reconcile ourselves to God. When we were without strength, in due time, Christ died for the who? If you have a pen, underline that in your Bible if you would, or if you don't want to mark your Bible, at least make a mental note of this. Who did Christ die for? Those that were deserving? Did He die for those that were righteous? Did He die for those that had not sinned? Who did He die for? He died for the ungodly. And I'm so glad He did. Because can I tell you a secret? I think you all have probably figured this out by now. I'm one of those. And by the way, so are you. We're the ones He died for. For scarcely for a righteous man will some die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare die. But God commendeth His love toward us. Notice this and don't miss it. Please don't miss it. And that while we were what? Yet sinners. While we were yet sinners, Christ died 
for us. Say, Brother Greg, I don't understand that. Join the club. I don't either. But he did. He said, Why would he love us like that? I have not the faintest idea. But I'm glad he does. I'm glad that when he died on the cross, he didn't look down and find the best of us and say, Those are the ones I'm going to die for. He looked out. And he found the worst of us. He said, those are the ones. Everyone that is at that place in their sin and all others, I'm going to die for them. So much so that in John chapter 3, he says that for God so loved the world, not just a select few, not just the people who will do right, not just people who live the right way. God so loved the world. He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever, whosoever, I love that word. Can I tell you a secret? I'm included in that whosoever. And by the way, so are you. That whosoever believeth in Me should not perish, but have everlasting life. You mean I get to participate in the abundance of God's grace, yes. You mean I get to escape this place that the rich man went to? Absolutely. That's the joy of being saved. Knowing that God rescued me when I was heading towards hell. And by the way, He did that for you. Back to Luke chapter number 16. Verse number 31, I said at the beginning of the message, one of the saddest statements in Scripture. He said unto him, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, in other words, if they don't listen to my word, what I've already given, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Can I tell you this? One did raise from the dead. You say, oh, Brother Greg, that might be a... That might be a, an old wives' tale. That might be a, ledge, a tale. Might be a legend. You know, the Bible says that he was seen of many. There are secular historians that attest to and give eyewitness accounts of the risen Christ. We have a number of eyewitness accounts in our own Bibles. We serve a risen Savior. And here's the sad fact of the matter. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, He predicted that this would be the case. That if they don't listen to My Word, they're not going to be persuaded. If they won't take the truth that I've given to them and told them how they can be saved, they're not going to be persuaded. Even if one rose from the dead, they would not believe. Somebody wrote years ago a little poem. And it says, Only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. 
We have one lifetime. I'll be real frank with you. If, if men could die without Christ and go to hell and realize that Christ is who He says He is and realize that Christ has done what He said He has done and they could put their faith in Him and be saved out of hell, I wouldn't even be preaching these things. I'd think, you know what? They'll, they'll learn one way or the other and they'll all end up in heaven at some point because they won't want to stay there. But the problem is we have to make that choice before this life is over. That's why I preach. That's why we share the Gospel. That's why there are churches full of people who are burdened and weep and shed tears over people who refuse to hear the Word of God. And because of that, they are not persuaded. They don't see that need. Can I tell you this? In Philippians chapter number 2, we find that there will come a time where the Bible says, every knee shall bow. There's going to come a time where every person that has ever been born will know and understand these things. The problem is, some of them will not be able to do anything more about it. Because the time of their life has already passed by. It will be too late. I have a hard time preaching. I have a hard time even reading Luke chapter number 16. Because every time I do this thought comes into my mind. The rich man died at least a little over 2,000 years ago. I don't know if we realize this or not. But he's still there. 2,000 years later, he's still there. You say, Brother Greg, what's the big deal about telling people about this place? What's the big deal about sharing the message of God loving them and wanting to save them? The alternative. The alternative is an eternity. A place that is a very real place. It's not a metaphor. It's not just some spiritualization of separation from God. It's a real, literal place. Jesus spoke very precisely of it, very descriptive of it. You say, what's the big deal about telling others? What's the big deal about sharing the gospel? What's the big deal about missing an opportunity here and there? means an eternity for someone. I have two questions this morning. Number one, are you saved? 
Have you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? You only have till the end of this life. Number two, if you say, Brother Greg, I know I've trusted Christ as my Savior, what are we doing to tell others? Is it that important? Is it that urgent to us? Are we even concerned? As we go through our day, do we even worry about eternity of that person we just touched their life? We just came across their path. We just shared a comment or two with them. Are we concerned? Do we have a desire to see others come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? I've heard people say this before. If I get to the end of my life and realize all of this was a wrong thing, if I realize that there was no truth in it, there's two things I would recognize. Number one, I've absolutely loved living the Christian life. I've lived a rewarding life and a life that has been not without trials, but with great peace and great comfort. And if I was wrong, if this book is not what it claims to be, if God is not who He says He is, and everything just ends at the end of life, then what harm was there? But if we're right, and we do believe very strongly that we are, the alternative to that is devastating. Is it worth even taking the chance on? Jude made a comment in his writings. He says, and some have compassion making a difference. The next verse says this, And some, save with fear, pulling them out of the fires. He said, Brother Greg, are you trying to scare me into getting saved? If I could do that, I would. I would do it. But I want you to understand the truth of God's Word. I want you to understand that hell's a real place. We only have this lifetime to make the choice. Are you saved today? If not, today would be a day to do that. To say, Lord, I'm not trusting what I'm doing anymore. I'm not trying to earn my way there. I'm not trying to clean my life up. I'm just trying to put my faith in You. I want to trust You to take me to heaven. You know, the Bible tells us that He will. He'll do it every time. It says, Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. You just have to come to Him. Christian friend that's here, you say you're saved and on your way to heaven. Let me ask you this. Are we doing enough to let other people know? Are we doing enough to share the wonderful, wonderful news of the Gospel? Redeemed how I love to proclaim. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy, His child 
and forever I am. I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and His glory, of Jesus and His love. What seems each time I tell it more wonderfully sweet. Oh, I'll tell you, I wonder, do we love telling the story? Do we love letting people know, sharing with them? Are we burdened? Does it grieve us when we miss the opportunities? I've really struggled this week. I've shared with some of you, I missed an opportunity Wednesday. came across a fellow that I knew I should have spoken to. A fellow that I have known for a little over a year. I've struggled with that this week. Are we doing enough? Are we doing enough? Let's stand together, shall we, with the heads bowed, please, and eyes closed. Father, we pray that You would bless the invitation time. Lord, I pray that Your Holy Spirit will do His work. Lord, I've done my best to share what Your Word says and to give the sense of it and to bring understanding to it. But the truth is, Lord, there is nothing that is profitable from that if Your Holy Spirit does not also speak to the heart. If He does not open the blinded eyes, He doesn't bring the light and shed it in our hearts. Help us to understand these things. Help us to see them clearly. And then, Lord, may You do Your work in our hearts. Bless the invitation time. If there's someone here that needs to trust You as their Savior, Father, may they do that today. If there are those that are Christians here that need to say they need to do more for You, to tell others about the Gospel story, then, Father, please, may they make that decision today. Bless the time that we spend here together. In Jesus' name, amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed. I'm going to miss Evelyn, if she will, to play through.